Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitkavich, and this is a podcast where readers can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check out daybeautiful.net for more author interviews and book recommendations. You can also follow us on social media at Day Beautiful on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Today's guest received her MFA from the University of Iowa, where she was an Iowa Arts Fellow. She previously released Everything Must Go, a novel for teenagers, and her essays have appeared in the Los Angeles Review of Books, Washington Square Review, and Speculative Nonfiction. Her debut novel for adults, Diquette, is out now. Please welcome Jenny Fran Davis. Hey, Jenny. How you doing today? Thank you. Um, I am doing pretty well. Um, I'm a little all over the place because my book comes out in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a sort of overwhelming time, like half, a little over half anxiety and terror and like a little under half excitement and like exhilaration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. I, I, I sometimes dive into this. So you're, yeah, like you said, two weeks before mm-hmm. your book, this will come out like after your book is out, but right now right. the the listeners will know, uh-huh. um, what is like a day to day outside of like any day job stuff look like for you? Like interviews, uh, chats with your publicity team or your editor. What does it look like on the book world leading up to uh, your publication? Um. So most days I'm in communication with like my publicist, who's been mm-hmm. really amazing. Um, and she kind of like keeps me updated with any new like interview requests or like mentions of the book in the media. Um, and I'm also kind of planning a few events in the background. So it's like mm-hmm. chatting with, um, any like conversation partners that I'll be having and confirming dates and times and locations and making travel plans. Um, and in terms of interviews, I've done a few, those typically, like, I don't feel like I have to prepare so much for them just because mm-hmm. like, I know my book. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like thinking too much about them beforehand makes me more nervous. Um, but I've done a few of them and they've all been really great. Like the people that have reached out, I feel like have really done close reads and like, I don't know, often I feel like they've um, pointed out things in the book that I didn't even sort yeah. of consciously register while writing it or editing it. Um, yeah, that's that's yeah. good to hear. And, good experiences yeah, with interviews totally. is always ideal. Cause you never know. Yeah. Yeah, you never know. And I'm like, I have yet to encounter any interviewer who I feel like hasn't read the book or like, mm-hmm. um, maybe has like, less than um, positive or excited feelings about it. Like everyone has just been really, really sweet, um, mm-hmm. which I'm very grateful for. Um, so yeah, I have like, right now I'm doing two freelance editing jobs that also take a bit of time. But luckily, like my bosses there have um, have been really understanding about like needing to scale back a bit mm-hmm. um, on work hours so I can focus on the book. But there's also just this element of like, not knowing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And like <laughs> feeling like there's a lot that I maybe could or should be doing, but then not really knowing what those things are. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> definitely. And um, your book, Diquette, uh Tell readers a little bit about what it is. I 
through the through doing day beautiful i've discovered i'm terrible at explaining plot because i don't necessarily or not that we have to talk about plot when you're describing what your book is about right but i've discovered like i just i'm like yeah it feels good it's like hot it's sexy Mm -hmm. or like it's it's, (laughs) it's spooky or the atmosphere is cool like and i don't talk about plot ever when i'm recommending books but anyway i'm bad at it even though it's in theory something i do daily but Mm -hmm. what's your book about like tell readers a little bit about it i'm also really bad at like summarizing what a book is about I guess particularly when it's like my book but I guess my little um my little thing that I've been saying just because like this question does come up unfortunately (laughs) you do have to kind of say what your book is about sometimes (laughs) um and I've been saying it is about um a queer friend group that goes upstate for a week in um the winter of 2019 and it's three couples there are lots of um, sort of latent like dynamics that come to the surface over the mm-hmm. course of the week or so that they're um, in the home of sort of like the oldest, most established couple. Um, yeah. And there's sort of, um, yeah, many, many threads among the characters that develop and sort of get more intense as the week progresses. And it all leads up to this sort of um, ill-fated live stream performance that um that two of the characters embark on and and everyone has a lot of feelings about it (laughs) yeah yeah it's um i think i i tweeted and instagrammed i'm sure like the three hot face emojis uh (laughs) and i was like this is day beautiful's official blurb and like yeah (laughs) and, and what i meant by that was like it just like it's funny. It's hot. Like, obviously there's crazy stuff going on and it's like very sincere, but it just felt like something I haven't read in a while that captures like our age ish and like the absurdity of just, you know, being in your mid to mid twenties to early thirties and like not having a clue of what's going on, but you're so certain about who you are, but then you're not certain about who you are. Anyway, the characters were just amazing is what I'm getting at. (laughs) Thank you. That's really sweet. Yeah, I um I love that that was the official De Beautiful um, <laughs> ranking yeah. system. Like how many hot faces? Oh, so hot. <laughs> um, um, yeah, and I guess I want to go into like the genesis of the book. Were the characters or like the feelings or the location? What what came first for this book? Um, that's a really good question because this book actually started out. Um, as a collection of essays Mm. where I was writing about sort of like um, contemporary like femme identity Mm -hmm. and I was like planning to do all these interviews and um, maybe go immerse myself in like a lesbian separatist community like I had a lot of grand plans Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Mm -hmm. then um, and then COVID struck I was in grad school um, and I was sort of plotting away at this collection and I was realizing that a, like the most, um, the most like compelling pieces seem to be drawn from like actual things that had happened to me or happened to people I knew. Mm-hmm. And also I felt that I could, um, I could make the project way more interesting and, way funnier and sort of um and and sort of get at all of the ideas that I was curious about exploring if I fictionalized it Mm. so that was sort of the genesis it was essays and then I decided I'll make it fiction 
Um, and so I invented a bunch of new characters. And then I think actually the location was one of the last things that I decided. I, I was sort of realizing that I needed a container yeah. for all of these characters to experience each other. They had to be isolated from their respective um, apartments and communities back in Brooklyn. And they had to, um, there had to be a time limit because I was getting really overwhelmed with like, how can I explore all of these couples like over space and time if I just yeah. sort of have an unlimited amount to work with? And so I thought, okay, one week um, holiday season, which is like really charged for a lot of people, especially when thinking about like um, family of origin and chosen family and all of that. Um, and then also the sort of um, the the relative isolation of these characters um, mm. removed from most of the people they know and um, and their actual like homes and like the dailiness of their lives. That was how to sort of how it um, it all came together. And yeah, the the upstate house was was the last thing that I decided, but then also prompted a really major revision, which I feel <laughs> had me like really rewriting large parts of the book. So it sort of happened in chronologically. And then I, and then I started over and then it happened like sort of um, reverse chronologically, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, No, for sure. Um, what was without like getting too, too into any degree, but what was that like big revision that you had to figure out once you had the tight location? Um, the big revision entailed having all of the action happen um, over the course of yeah. these 10 or so days upstate sure. yeah. and not happen. So, yeah, I wanted everything to happen in the present. In previous yeah. drafts, um, there had been flashbacks and sort of um, like oh, wow. tangential chapters that really had us set um, like either years past or months past and um yeah, I, I felt that because I had chosen this container of the upstate house, I then needed to transform all of the other scenes that I had written either into like reminiscence in mm -hmm. the minds of the characters or to literally move it to that week upstate. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that so fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I love the tight timeline. I love books that have like it feels explosive not necessarily when you know going into it that it's like 10 days i guess the publicity mm -hmm. copy does say that but it's like when i know a book even though i don't care about plot at all and i talk about that all the time yeah. but like when i know a book has like oh man we have like one weekend to figure this out mm -hmm. and see how their lives can be ruined or not ruined you know but right um yeah that's so fascinating to me um i think i read your book when i was in the middle of my girl's my rewatch which yeah um which the, so this the book definitely reminded me of the episode where the four girls in the hbo series girls go upstate and they're like they have this explosive uh, mm -hmm. tension um and, and that's to say like do you feel what is it about like friend groups on vacation <laughs> just in general <laughs> not with your book but like in in life right like why it sounds like such a good idea let's all hang out and then it's right. something something's gonna go wrong every single time and I'm curious mm -hmm. like what that says about like our age range <laughs> yeah well right that's so funny because I feel like I was just joking with um with some friends that like there's this particular like attitude that many people have um toward vacation where it's sort of like this needs to be fun this is supposed to be fun and like I need to protect that fun at all costs mm -hmm. <laughs> and that mm -hmm. actually ends up creating like so much stress like like this is my time to to relax and do things that I wouldn't normally do and um maybe experience nature or like 
immerse myself in in a new setting and like that actually can be so tense and stressful mm-hmm. <laughs> to yeah. feel like, like the time you've set aside to sort of enjoy yourself suddenly um is complicated by just like the daily um stresses and anxieties of the life that maybe you've left behind and there's sort of this desire to like um sequester that vacation time or vacation space and like it's really impossible to do that especially if you're with your friends who presumably um presumably in the in the real world are with you all the time and Mm -hmm. you know you're going into it with like pre-existing um like competition and jealousy and infatuation and all of these things um it's impossible to sort of um, protect that vacation space as maybe we hope to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I don't know exactly what that says about our age range. <laughs> maybe it's that like we, most of us are in a place for like working really hard and yeah. a lot of sort of um, couplings and uncouplings are happening and we're figuring out who we are and who we want to be and how we actually, um, how we actually like want to enjoy ourselves yeah. <laughs> like outside of work definitely has something to do about definitely has something to do with work. I think. Yeah. Um, I, I did a big trip in January for, uh, with lady day, beautiful, my partner, her, both our birthdays are in January. So I went to Europe mm-hmm. for like two weeks and it's like, I realized like we're, it's work. Like it's like we yeah. were taught to like rise and grind and hustle. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, oh no, especially like in the writing art world, right? You always mm-hmm. have to be like, if you're freelancing, especially it's like, okay, do I have this job? Blah, 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 this, this, this. And it's like, I don't know. I just discovered this about myself this year that I'm a horrible traveler is basically mm-hmm. what I'm getting at. Like yeah. me, myself, <laughs> I'm terrible at it. Uh, yeah I'm a really bad traveler too and I I don't enjoy it I often find it more stressful than fun yeah Um, yeah yeah I think there's also as you were saying like yeah something about um the the amount of sort of like the work that we do every day and then Mm -hmm. when that's like (laughs) interrupted even even by a a getaway or a vacation which is like you know a luxury Mm -hmm. it can often feel like um it can often feel really wrong to be at rest and to Mm -hmm. not be moving forward and to to really like be in a a place and a um like intentional like time set for not working like that can actually be pretty jarring and like um and pretty like discombobulating and disorienting to not be working and I think I struggle with that because like I often find it like, I mean, it's I, I love like thinking about things and writing about things. And um, I'm lucky that I, I enjoy most of the work that I do. And, mm-hmm. and so to sort of like not be allowed to work is a little bit hard for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah like, think- oh, sorry, you mentioned like you have like some like editing freelance work you're mm-hmm. doing now. Um, So I'm not going to ask about them, but like, When's the last time you check your email on your phone? Like, do you have a hard stop? I'm just curious about like our ha- like habits of writers now. Like, oh, are you checking it like right before bed sometimes? No, I love email. Like, I love getting email. So I I check all the time. Yeah. Like, there's no, um, yeah, there's there's no hard stop for me. I'm always checking yeah. email. Yeah, exactly. Same here. Like, <laughs> I even like as we're hopping on and before we were recording, I was like, let me just check email just in case yeah. something crazy happened. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's put it away. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> so leading up to publication, you have all these feelings. You're we talked about how we're both terrible travelers. Um mm-hmm. the writing process of this, you mentioned the big revision, um, mm-hmm. getting it down to the type tight timeline. What are you focusing on like when you after you had the first drafts and after the, that revision kind of happened? What are the type of things that you're um like you were looking for in Diket to like punch up and like in later drafts? Mm-hmm. Um, so one big thing that changed actually once I had sold the book to my editor mm-hmm. um, in, in my first sort of big round of revision with her, I ended up, th- so the book was initially all in first person mm-hmm. and I ended up changing it to third person for a few reasons. But I think the biggest reason um, was that I wanted it to feel like, um, I wanted it to feel like the narrator maybe wasn't Sasha herself, but someone extremely close to her and almost observing her while she thinks through all of the sort of dynamics and complexities of the relationships on the trip. Mm. Um, I felt a little bit limited by the first person um, in previous drafts. And I think that switching to the third person actually really opened up a new way of, of sort of like, um, of sort of presenting Sasha's, inner world as both um on one level like extremely close like there's almost no separation between the omniscient third person narrator and like Sasha herself Mm -hmm. um but also a little bit of distance which I felt was just so helpful and sort of um and sort of like um illuminating that Sasha herself is um, sort of constantly narrativizing the world around her and constantly coming up with like theories and, um, you know, ranting and raving about things and then sort of fantasizing about different things. And yeah, I felt that having it not be all in the first person helped it feel a little bit less like suffocating to be Mm -hmm. just trapped in her mind. Um, and I also, I think was sensitive at that point to like, readers tendencies which you know I do this too to sort of assume that um that the narrator is literally the author and I felt <laughs> that getting a little bit of that distance was helpful too just um it, it was sort of freeing to just yeah. say like, you know I'm not even I, I don't have an I voice um and so I'm sort of removing like myself the writer from the sort of intimacy of the first person narrative so I think that was like a really big good change that I made um other big points of revision through the editing process were definitely like developing all of the characters there are six of them so yeah. I had to come to terms with the fact that not every character um could be you know like as um sort of like I guess as fleshed out as I hoped I think it would take six books to really like write every character fully and I would love to do that like that sounds really fun Um, and sort of figuring out like how much of each of the other characters besides Sasha who's really like the perspective that we're following how much of each of those other five people we were like allowed to know through Sasha um, and how much I wanted to remain sort of um, opaque to her yeah I I mean I felt yeah like obviously you can get like fully realized characters in six different books but like I I mentioned on the top of this that I felt like all six really shined and I mean obviously it's through Sasha's lens but Mm -hmm. I I just feel like you balance them so well and they all felt so 
real and like i could see like uh sorry my cat is jumping no worry that in and not edit it out my wires (laughs) her name is louie and i call her lucifer because she will ruin podcast recordings but uh i'm gonna leave all that in so i hope the listeners enjoy Um, (laughs) i yeah it's like you need a good pov you need you need the sasha character in in books because or else I feel a lot of times when it is like equally focused on different characters that loses focus in a lot of ways, not your book, just books in general for me. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just felt you did a really great job. So just me again, me complimenting the characters who I fell in Thank love you. with. So yes, write five more books following this 10 <laughs> days from their perspectives. <laughs> Thank you. That's really good to hear because it's, it's always something I worry about when like following a single character, you know, more than the others. I, um, yeah. It's just sort of about balancing and like and also really gets at the heart of like how much of another person can we ever know or understand. Um yeah. yeah. I um switching from first to third, I want to dive into a little bit more mm-hmm. for I'm not a writer, I don't write fiction. I talk about that with people and and right. I think a lot of the right people, maybe a lot of the people who listen to Day Beautiful are, are aspiring writers. They haven't yet done the thing. But I'm curious, as like a non-writer, what does switching that POV look like, like mechanically for you as you're <laughs> going through it? Yeah, so it's it is um, annoyingly more than just going through the document and changing every I to she. <laughs> yeah, and every <laughs> like yeah. Um, so that was the first step, definitely. But then. Mm-hmm reading back through and like there's no way to do that that's sort of like control f like that's literally going through every single page and and changing every first person to third person Mm -hmm. Um, so that took a really long time but sort of as I was doing that I was seeing that like um I was introducing more problems because it's it you know switching from first person to third person um is more than just a sort of like copy or like mechanical change it actually changes like the way the story is told so the Mm -hmm. second major step for me was then um identifying places where um that switch had made things feel like um too obscure or awkward or wasn't actually getting at the thing that I had hoped it to hoped it to sorry (laughs) it wasn't actually like sort of getting to the place or like the the sort of like narrative voice that I was intending Mm -hmm. um and then it was sort of just a matter of like editing paragraph by paragraph to make sure that the voice seemed um consistent and compelling and also that ended up just like um forcing me to add a bunch of stuff because there's something about like the I voice that can like maybe more like efficiently express an idea or like efficient efficiently like establish intimacy with um the reader and the the narrator or the protagonist and um and I found that I needed to work a little bit harder with the like um with the third person to um to show like what Sasha is thinking like you know Sasha thought dot 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 or Mm -hmm. to just like present an idea um with no with none of that like framing or like none of that sort of like um little heads up that this is like Sasha's thought or Sasha's opinion. Um, And so I was always sort of trying to figure out like, 
where to tell readers that Sasha was um, was positing something or like musing about something and when those things were just presented without any context. Um, and I found that that ended up being like, just like a craft choice that I had to work through sort of thing by thing. There was no way to kind of like, yeah, that I found was like really like a line editing project. And it ended up changing like, um, the content in a lot of ways but it really was a line by line process and it was very slow and I think that took me maybe like that was maybe like the most time consuming revision that I did mm -hmm. was so transitioning kind of I'm curious so Dickhead is billed as like your it's it's your debut adult novel, mm -hmm. but like six seven years ago, I'm bad at math. 2017, <laughs> you released a young adult book. Yes, um, and I'm gonna I want to try and dive into that a little bit. That was that I'm assuming that was in first person because it was YA. Um, it was well, it was an epistolary novel. So Got it. it was, Sorry, I have not read it. I will come no, no, clean. Okay, okay. but so, I okay. would say like yeah, it it was in first person because like the sort of um the conceit of that book is like this character um flora she's like piecing together all of like the documents and emails and letters and yeah. report cards and and yeah sort of like all of the ephemera of her time at this like farm boarding school well, that she's yeah. gone to um, so, yeah. so it was first person and and it was an extremely different process of writing and editing mm -hmm. um in large part because that book was um a collection of like individual documents that had to tell the same story mm -hmm. um, yeah. and sort of like deciding whose point of view to like use to reveal all of the different parts of the plot. And like, that was actually extremely um, complex and difficult work, even though it was, um, even though it was like more sort of like, fun in a lot of ways it, it felt like mm -hmm. a puzzle more than this did um but yeah so yeah I was 22 I was I sold the book when I was in undergrad um mm -hmm. I think my junior year and then it came out right after I graduated from undergrad and yeah I was I felt um I was really young and inexperienced and pretty like out of my depth in the publishing world. And I've been really like pleasantly surprised to find that this, the process of publishing um, an adult novel, um, maybe it's that I know more, I'm more mature. I'm like, I just know more people. I know more about the world and yeah. the publishing industry. I, I've just found that I've like been able to, um, to like handle my like anxiety a lot better and to mm -hmm. sort of like, um, to know like more what to do um, to promote the book. Like all of these things have sort of like become a little bit easier with my yeah. five or six years <laughs> behind me, but yeah. 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 And I guess I was where I'm going with that is like prior, prior to like switching to head into third person was first person, how you mostly wrote like through your MFA and everything. Yes. Um, yeah, I act, I'm not, I'm not such a third person girl. Usually. <laughs> um, I do think that first person is like my instinct. It's how I've always written, whether yeah. it's fiction or nonfiction. Um, so it, it was challenging and it was like new and different. And I also felt that it was like really the correct decision, which was interesting mm -hmm. um, for like the, the right choice to also be something that I was like, not very comfortable doing 
but I think yeah. maybe that discomfort like created um created an opportunity to like write with way more intention and way more slowness because it wasn't intuitive that I think ended up being uh better for the book yeah that's so fascinating um talking about your time in your MFA a little bit um or not like the program itself but like growing as a writer right um I don't think I've really asked like maybe I have I'm sure I've asked this to someone but like how did an MFA or how did your 20s how did your writing change I guess from everything must go to Diket. obviously those are two vastly different books but like mm -hmm. from a point A to a point B like how is your writing and your interests more in the past since 2017 mm. um in so many ways I mean mm. just like evolving as a person over the span of my 20s has I think changed my writing like in so many ways most of which are like hard to even identify because mm -hmm. I'm still I'm still in my 20s and I'm still like learning so much about people in the world every day um not that that like ends <laughs> when you turn 30, but just, you know, I think it's maybe particularly intense in your mid twenties to sort of be um, like just in the world in a sort of new way as like a newly minted adult. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think my writing has also sort of reflected um, the amount of like, not just like, I've always been extremely curious about like other people and other minds um, but I think I have sort of over the course of like the past several years, like, and especially in my MFA, just like learned a lot about um, like the importance of like perspective and like writing from a really particular perspective, which I think is something I've always done. Um, but also like how to sort of navigate um, the like, the limitations of any one writer's perspective you know we all are limited by our own sort of life experiences and point of view um and sort of like how to like show a mind at work interacting with the world around it um in a way that's like revelatory about both the mind and that world but also like doesn't really try to be um like vastly encompassing I guess what I've what I've been learning is like that there's um there's a lot of like power and beauty in like unapologetic specificity like mm -hmm. I'm writing about a really really particular set of people a really particular world um and even more sort of zoomed in like one particular mind interacting with that world yeah and I think like I've started to identify that as like maybe like a, a strength of my writing, but also like something that's okay. Not, not everything has to like be about everything. And I think that's maybe a pressure that I felt more when I was younger to like have like a vast like theory of the world or like, mm. you know, this is how like people are. And, and yeah, maybe I'm realizing that that's not so much what I'm interested in anymore. Definitely. Like part yeah. of thing, like, particularity is more, um, is more my speed or my passion. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Do you feel that like, do you feel like that also is an interest of you as a reader? Like you like that particularity? Definitely. Books? What are, what are some titles that kind of go along with that or just like other books you've been vibing on lately? Mm, um, I read like such a wide range of books. Like I read cool. a lot of like, 
um, you know, what we used to call like chick lit. I don't know if people still call it, <laughs> um, but yeah, books about like, yeah. um, like commercial fiction about women yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. to like more sort of like serious nonfiction. Like I really, I read everything, but I have noticed that um, I always gravitate towards a, like a hyper specific world. Um, I, I really only read like realistic stuff. Like I, I've never been interested in like science fiction or fantasy um mm. like sort of within the realm of like realistic mostly contemporary literature i've always really been interested in like books that are um books that delve into like a really sort of um particular or um unusual world or perspective um not you know rather than books that sort of uh try to be like universally appealing or mm -hmm. sort of uh, like the the audience might be um, an extremely wide range of people. I, I, I do feel like the more like niche <laughs> books are, are more my speed. Like um, a book that I recently read and like really loved was um, Valencia by Michelle T, which I actually read a while ago, but then re-encountered and just I loved like how finely drawn the world is. And like there are parts of it I get, there are parts of it I don't get. And all of it I'm like really fascinated by. Um, another book that I read and loved recently was um, Joyce Maynard's memoir At Home in the World, which is about like the two years she spent with J.D. Salinger in like mm -hmm. rural New Hampshire in the 1970s. She was 19. He was like 55. Um, and, you know, she ended up like following his weird like um, undercooked meat diet <laughs> and he like had all of these sort of like theories about how to cure her because he said she was like frigid and I don't know it's sort of just her grappling with like this sort of incredible life-altering um, phase of her life and like how it followed her into adulthood and yeah I, I think I'm, I'm really drawn to like um, books that are more that take place more like in the mind than in the world um, and I, Valencia also takes place in the world, but but to a large extent, it also um, is is so embedded in like this sort of unusual mind of the narrator. Thank you so much to Jenny for joining the Day Beautiful podcast to talk about her debut novel, Diquette. You can find her on the internet at Jenny Fran Davis and on Instagram at Phi Beta Bimbo. That's Phi underscore Beta underscore Bimbo. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful.